Before we begin our study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I had a thoroughly enjoyable time studying this week's Torah portion and the Haftorah and the Brit Hadashah readings. I want to encourage you to make it a habit to read in advance so that you come ready, so that you're not like an old dried out sponge that's hard to, uh, to work with, but come already prepared and having read and then everything will be a little bit more familiar. Sandy and I have the habit of sharing with each other what we're taking notice of. And one of the things that caught Sandy's attention this week was in uh, the Torah portion where Yithro, or Jethro in English, the father-in-law of Moses, is repeatedly referred to as Moses' father-in-law. There's not just one time, not just two times, but 10 or 12 times, I forget the exact count, where Yithro is called Moses' father-in-law. When the, when the scriptures repeat something, it's to make a point. It's not because someone was lazy or thought you forgot from the last sentence that you just read who this guy is. But there's a point when, when there's repetition in, in whether, in, in Hebrew poetry or even in Hebrew prose, it's meant to draw our attention to the thing that's being repeated. It may not be good in English to do that, but in Hebrew, it's a wonderful way of communicating. So over and over again, you might want to count how many times uh, this man is referred to as Moses' father-in-law. When we pay attention to that, we notice something, that Moses has come back for the last miracle that God had promised him. Do you remember before Moses was ready to go, he said, how can I prove this is you? And the Lord said, I'll give you several miracles, and there were several, and then he said, and there's one more, you'll be back here with everyone worshiping at this holy mountain. And that's just like the Lord. We want a miracle in advance of the need, we want a miracle that provides for everything so that we don't have to worry about anything. But sometimes the Lord gives us a miracle that's at the end of everything, that is a confirmation and an affirmation, see, I told you. And there's a reason. When God works in that way, we understand we're not in control of his miracles. We can't master the Lord. We can't figure out how to pray to make this world just easy for ourselves. Everything about this life of faith is based on trusting God. Faith is trust. And when we have a trusting relationship with God and when we demonstrate that trust by the way that we live, the way we think, the way we act, the way that we communicate, the way we, we relate to people. When we do that, there are great rewards. And so here's one of the great rewards. Moses gets along with his father-in-law. And his father-in-law gets along with him. You might think, oh, that's a petty thing, but maybe you are not aware of conflict between in-laws and outlaws and families and friends and so forth. Sometimes 
people move as far away as they possibly can so that they don't have to deal with each other. But Moses has come back, and he comes back to his father-in-law, who's ready to uh, hear good news. His father-in-law is clearly a spiritual man. He's a priest, in fact. He follows God, but he has a limited understanding of God, not, not the fullness that, that Moses has. But Moses treats him with respect and deference. Even though we know who Moses is, he treats Yitro as a man who he shows great honor and respect to. So these are two men who are part of a big family, a son-in-law and a father-in-law, and they are talking to each other, they're listening to each other, they're open to each other. And if you think that that's not important, then you've maybe become dull to something. And that is how valuable it is to have happy family life. It's so rare in our day and age for families to have integrity together and for people to get along with each other. But when you experience fellowship together from one generation to the next, it actually is so encouraging. It's, it's so rewarding. Now, this is not just an idea for me. This is, this is something that's deep in my kishkas. That's uh, Yiddish for guts, which is a way of saying something better than guts. But kishkas sounds really good. <laughs> I grew up in a family where uh, we spent a lot of time together, and my father modeled for me what it's like to stay connected with, uh, with my generation. And my father uh, was in the radio business, and I remember one day I was about, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and he, it was a Saturday afternoon. He said, son, do you want to go meet Paul Simon? And I said, sure. And he said, okay, um, he's giving a concert in Blacksburg tonight, but he's staying at the Holiday Inn over on Williamson Road. So I'm telling you little details that would be important if you're from Roanoke, Virginia. I know there's some podcast listeners in Roanoke. And so hi to all of you. Uh, and so we, we drove over there and went to his hotel room and... I sat quietly, you know, I had nothing to say to Paul Simon, <laughs> but my dad and, and some of the disc jockeys who worked for him and Paul Simon had a wonderful time together. And I was thinking about that. I, I, I told my wife that came to my mind because it, it taught me something, not then, but now. It taught me that my dad actually valued being with me, his son, and he thought, here's a cool thing he's going to do. He wants to include me in it. And then I was aware of one other thing. He trusted me to behave while I was there. So it was a, it was a great experience. And another experience came to mind. We were in Rome when I was 10 years old. And my father had this habit after dinner, he would go for a walk whenever we were traveling. 
and he would just walk through the cities, wherever he was. He loved cities, and he loved the architecture, and the people, and just the environment. And I remember he came back from an evening walk, and he said, the Beatles are giving a concert. Do you want to go? And uh, this was early in their career. They were famous, of course, by this moment. When I was 10, they'd been on Ed Sullivan, if you remember that. And so they were already famous, but it was the beginning. And of course, we said, yeah, we want to go. And so he took us all to that concert, and I still remember sitting in the concert hall in Rome, and these Italian girls are like pulling their hair out, just like you saw, you know, in, in Sylvia. I don't think they were really pulling it out, but they were like, ah! They were having this incredible experience. But what I was thinking about today was not the Beatles. It wasn't about Paul Simon, even though that's cool. What I was thinking about was being with my dad and being with him doing things that were enjoyable. We did other things. These were not spiritual things. You can understand that. But they're memorable things. And if you had the experience of seeing the Beatles when you were 10, you'd remember that maybe. And if you got to uh, visit with Paul Simon in his hotel room, you'd probably not forget that either. So I was thinking about that, and I thought how natural it is to have fond memories of the shared experiences we have. And those are times that enable us to communicate, to talk to each other, to, to talk about questions that we have, observations that we make, and so forth. And it was my father and my mother's habit to include us in the most interesting kinds of events that we participated in. So we learn to be not only with them, but we learn to be with other adults. We learn to sit quietly, which was not easy for us because we were rambunctious. And ultimately, there were six children, and we were, in some cases, out of control. But we knew when we were doing something important, we needed to behave. We needed to... to uh, be able to be present with other people who didn't know us. And because of that, they were able to take us places. So when you're thinking about what kind of parent you want to be, if, if you want to take your kids places, teach them how to behave. Teach them how to, that when they're at home, they can be like this. When they're in someone else's home, be like that. When they're out and about, be this way. But always be mindful of who you are. And I remember when when I started my first career in, uh, in journalism, and I would go to different places and do interviews with newsmakers, people would say to me, are you Bert Levine's son? And I would smile, yes I am. And I remember a couple of years later he came to me and he said, you know what they're saying now when I go out, are you David Levine's dad? And I thought, wow, you know, that's incredible. And we're both happy to say yes, because we were, we loved each other. We were fond of each other. We were concerned for each other. When you read about Moses and Jethro, I want you to think about such things because they had a genuine interest in each other. They had genuine concern for each other, for each other's well-being. And not only that, 
what have each experienced with God? So we, we read in Exodus 18, verse 8, this wonderful statement, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. And then it goes into details. And I was thinking about that scripture that says, one generation will praise your works to another generation. How does that happen? It's not by preaching at each other. It's by having fellowship with each other. When you have those kinds of shared experiences and you're telling each other, this is what God did, then it touches not only yourself, it touches the others who hear. And so Jethro says, blessed be the Lord. This is recorded in verse 10. Who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh? Who's delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods from the very thing in which they behave proudly. He was above them. You see, Jethro had a limited understanding of God. And he thought there were many gods, but he understood this. In a way, there aren't many gods. There's only one God. But there are all these false gods and spiritual powers at work. And the scripture says that through the plagues, God judged the gods of Egypt. So, so Jethro is saying, this is unbelievable because those gods were so proud. But I know that your God, Moses is great and awesome and good, and he brought you back just like he said he would. He brought you back, and he brought all the people out. And so this is just such a great example of family life. Now, the next thing that caught my attention is in the Haftor portion, a verse I don't think I've ever spoken about. It's an unusual verse. It's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13. And I like David Stern's translation of this. And I, I, I won't fully describe the context because I want to just look at the imagery of it. It says, but like a pistachio tree or an oak whose trunk remains alive after its leaves fall off, the holy seed will be its trunk. So the greater context is that the, the people, the Jewish people are being warned that they may be decimated, that only a tenth may survive during uh, a time of falling away and difficulty. But that there will be a revival, and the comparison is when uh, a tree has been cut down, that's one translation, or when it's it's just been denuded of its foliage. And it, it appears dead. Actually, the trunk is still alive. And the prophet is saying, just like that in the physical world, in the natural world, just like that, the people may appear to be dead. Or the life of the nation may appear to be over. But in fact... The stump is alive, and it's going to have shoots that come out, and it's going to grow again, and it will be, if you will, resurrection life. But what really caught my attention was the, 
the imagery where it says the seed, the holy seed, will be the trunk or the stump. Because that is a mixed metaphor if there ever was one, a seed being a stump. One of the ways that seed can be translated is descendants. Uh, your seed will inherit the earth. You will have you know, more descendants that can be numbered and so forth. But to mix the, the metaphor here, a seed in the trunk, it's just, it's unusual. And so it caught my attention. I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about all the different ways that we understand seed. Because it's supposed to illuminate for us how we understand what's going to happen to this trunk, which isn't a trunk, it's a people. And I, I was thinking about the seed, which can mean descendants. So we could say, yeah, this is just about descendants. But I think it's more than that. Because you, you can remember many times Yeshua spoke about the seed. And he would give parables and teachings where he would mention the seed and that the seed will grow and so forth. And uh, the sower of the seed, the seed in the different soils and so forth. And there was one point when Yeshua was talking about such matters and his disciples privately came up to him privately because they didn't want to ask these kinds of questions in front of everybody because they thought they should already know the answer, which they should. But they would say to him, we don't understand what you just said. Can you explain it? And on several occasions, Yeshua said, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now, how... How to understand that? I want to connect that understanding that the Word of God has power. It's like a seed. And it, it's like an invisible or unseen force at work. You take a seed, you put it in the ground, and under the right circumstances, if that seed is full of life, you know what? It's going to grow. And it's going to grow into something. And that something isn't going to even look like the seed itself. The seed is small. The seed is, is contained within that something, but it is so different. The seed of a tomato is so different from a tomato. You know that. An orange seed looks so different from an orange. But the Word of God, the Word of God is like a seed. It goes into the earth, but the earth is what? The earth is not the earth, the earth is people. The word of God is sown. This seed, this incorruptible seed, this seed with life in it, with irrepressible life, this seed grows up again, and it bears fruit and it bears life. And when it's sown into human hearts and minds, it grows and it's powerful. Wherever the Word of God grows up inside of you, it becomes powerful in you and through you. Now, the Word of God, this is something I've mentioned recently. I want to I connect this because the seed is the imagery that we're focusing on from Isaiah. But the power is in the word of God. 
But I want you to think of the Word of God in several ways. One is the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the Word of God. What God has uh, put in writing for us is powerful. It's active and alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can make you wise regarding salvation and Messiah Yeshua. It can equip you for every good work. It can correct you and rebuke you and so forth. That's one aspect. The, the Word of God spoken is another aspect. But the Scriptures speak about the Word of God being the actual expression of God Himself. And it's John who opens up his Gospels with this idea. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so you have this idea that the Word, the Holy Seed, is not just some force, but it's actually the Lord himself at work. And when he speaks to you, and his Word goes into your heart and into your mind, and it meets, we'll call it well-cultivated soil, that which God speaks to you grows up and produces fruit. It produces change. It produces something that is sometimes unimaginable. But Yeshua himself is the Word of God. So there is this important idea that the Word of God is not, as the Greeks thought, just a force, but it's actually a person. The Word of God is God expressing himself. The Greeks understood the Logos in a powerful way, but they understood it only in part because they did not know that God himself would come down and that he would personify the Word of God. Nor did they connect their ideas to what the, uh, the Aramaic-speaking Jews had said when they were translating the scriptures from Hebrew into Greek, and not into Greek, into Aramaic, and they, they put in the scriptures that the memory, the word in Aramaic, the memory of God was heard walking in the garden. So there was this ancient idea, and it, it was a, a powerful idea that the word of God was actually God. That when God speaks, He's imparting something of his very life in his being. And wherever, by the Holy Spirit, the word comes into a person and is nurtured and developed and acted on, that word becomes powerful for good and for transformation. The idea of the Logos is partly this that the Word of God is the power of God to set things right, to make things right, to fix things, to, to restore what's broken down, to resurrect what's lifeless. And thus, you see the connection between the imagery of the stump that appears lifeless and the seed, which also looks lifeless, but it's holy, and in the ground it grows up, and it shows us full of life. So you can see the prophetic and um, linguistic connection between these things. 
because it's a mixed metaphor in Isaiah, it, get, it should grab our attention. It should get our attention. It's not that Isaiah the prophet was lazy and just didn't you know, write well, and it's not that the Holy Spirit came up with you know, bad language uh, according to the rules of you know, literary custom. It's that the rules were broken for a purpose to get your attention to make stronger connections between things that you may not see. Because part of the power of this prophetic word is there's something at work in this world we're living in that's unseen until. It's invisible until. And that is why Yeshua came and said, I'm here to proclaim the good news, and in your presence, this is fulfilled. It's brought, into fu- it's brought into fullness, and what was invisible before will now become visible. And that's why you could say, the sick will be healed, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise, the, the people in prison will be set free, the poor will be comforted, the brokenhearted will be Uh, shown mercy because the Lord is trying to communicate something to us the power of his word the power of God to resurrect the lifeless to set free what's in bondage to heal the sick and encourage the hopeless and the the Haftorah portion goes on in chapter 9 of Isaiah and it speaks about the increase of his government this little one um the increase of his government will be without limits. And, and I was connecting all of this. The, uh, see if I can communicate to you what I, what I want to say. When the word of God goes into you, when God speaks to you and you know it, when you hear him in any way that a person can hear God, or in all of the ways... When that happens and you take to heart what he's showing you and you do what he's showing you that you know is true according to the word of God, according to the scriptures too. So it's not just when you're loosey-goosey, do what you want, do what's in your heart, but when you hear the Lord and you're obedient to the Lord. When you do that, the government of God is increasing. The shape of your life is changing. The the government of God grows wherever God finds a heart that's open to do his will and to participate in the kingdom of God. It's not just a matter of preaching, it's a matter of doing. When you do what God says, it's much more than when you just hear, but when you do it, something happens. There's, There's this power at work in you and through you, it's God at work through you, and it changes the world around you. Jethro is sort of amazed at how that process is working through Moses, because he's seeing that things are changing. And what's changing? The captives have been set free. This is even prior to Isaiah's proclamation of the gospel, or Yeshua's uh, incarnation of the gospel. 
But it's the same gospel. I want you to understand. The gospel from the beginning goes and develops and takes on more detail until it becomes historically clear and real. But it's one gospel. And it has resurrection life in it. It has repentance. It has victory over every spiritual force and power. Every demonic power, every principality, every evil that's at work, there's victory over that. There's freedom for people who have been kept in bondage. There's deliverance. There's healing. There is so much. And what does it depend on? It depends on something simple, and that is the Word of God, which has the life being received into our hearts and our minds so that it has a place to grow, so it can grow up and then do what it's meant to do. This is what Paul is talking about when he writes the Romans in chapter 8. And he says, We know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his ultimate purpose and goals. That's the meaning of telos, which is the Greek word that Paul is using there. The universe is ready to work differently. How many can confirm that the world around us is, is broken? And that a lot of the time, it's in a um, rotting condition, like garbage that's gotten hot and old and it stinks. It stinks often. That's one aspect. That's the world we are in. But that's not the world we are to remain in, and here's why. God wants to change that world. How? Through his word. How? Through the victory of Yeshua. How? Through the Lord using us to make a difference. You see, Yeshua said, greater things will you do than I do. And honestly, he did some things that you and I will never do. So the realm of our greater work will be different. The scope of it will be different. We will never die for the sins of mankind. We may die because of sins of mankind, but not for their sins. We will never be the atoning sacrifice for people. We will never reconcile people to the Lord through our death, burial, and resurrection. That's not ours to do. However, what is ours to do? Proclaim good news. Bring healing encourage. You see, the world will work differently when you're in love with God and when you're holding on to his purposes and his goals. Not your purposes and goals, his purposes and goals. Because when you're holding on to him and what he wants to do, he will give you assignments to do things you don't want to do that you never imagined that are not according to your plans. You've got your plans, you've got your desires, and God has his. Do you think Moses was sitting around for 40 years saying, you know, if only God would come in a burning bush and sort of freak me out and then send me back to Egypt, then I could really do something with my life. That, I don't think it happened that way. I think Moses was as surprised as anybody would have been. Because it was the Lord's idea, not Moses' idea. 
Often God has a plan that's not our plan because he's at work in unseen ways. And it's only when we're participating that, we, that it becomes visible. You see, only when, when we say to the Lord, oh, that thing you put in my heart to be a blessing to others as Abraham was, as you called us to do, to go to the ones who are in trouble and to help them. Only then does the work really manifest itself. So I was just ruminating on all these things. I, I, I love the scriptures. And when I was telling Sandy about this mixed metaphor, she took a step back. She said, wait a minute. You're telling me you haven't ever spoken about something that you've seen in the scriptures. I said, yeah, well, maybe today. The word of God is so full of richness. You can spend your remaining years reading and taking it seriously, and you'll discover new things all the time. But it's not just enough to be aware of them. What's the next thing? To say to the Lord, Hineni, here I am, send me. And when we get out of that mode of saying send him, send her, and we start saying send me, everything changes. Because God's looking to bring in his harvest. And close with these thoughts. Do you remember Yeshua said, don't say for more months and then the harvest. Because the harvest is ripe already. And what's missing harvesters. And so he said, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers for the harvest. And if you had that thought, yes, yeah, send him. Send her. That's what I'm talking about. When we say, send me, then God can use you wherever he wants you to be. Lately, Sandy and I have been praying, Lord, send us. And a couple of days ago, I heard from someone who I barely know who said, can you come to our country and help us build up our Messianic congregation? <laughs> and my first thought was, send us. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't know. I haven't... I don't know from the Lord whether I should actually participate or not. He will let us know. But I'm not afraid to say to them, well, come and see us and visit and spend time with us and then we'll see what's the next step. I don't know. But when, when God wants to do more with you, he'll put things in your heart that will be useful to other people, not to you. It's not, it, if you are pursuing like your own sense of meaning and purpose in life, you'll never find it. The scripture says, 
God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, not for those who love their own lives, and are called according to his purpose. Say that with me, his purpose. So study all you want about your own purpose, but focus on his purpose, and you'll do much better. Well, that's what I've been thinking about, and I just wanted to share it with you. So let's pray. Lord, use these words for good because you are the word of God. Inspire us, equip us, Lord. Enlarge us. Teach us to do good. Teach us to see the unseen things that are going on and the ways you want to work with us, through us. And let it be that we can say that you are our father. If someone says, is your father the Lord? That we could say, you bet. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please stand up? If you're by yourself, if you don't mind, just shuffle over to Buffalo or something. And... So you're not alone. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panave lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, y'all. Shabbat shalom.